Think you know the Brooks Ghost? Think again. Introducing the all-new, better-than-ever Ghost 16. Now with nitrogen-infused cushioning for lightweight, supreme softness that feels good every step, every street, every single day. So go ahead, take your daily joyride in the all-new nitrogen-infused Ghost 16. It'll turn your everyday miles into everyday endorphins. Let's run there. Head to brooksrunning.com to learn more. BWI Daily Edition getting ready for the NFL Draft. Our NFL Draft reporter, Dave Eckert, he's been doing a great job covering the mock drafts, covering the analysis this offseason. Uh, while I've been busy doing many other things, my first and true love is the NFL Draft. So I'm super excited for today's show. And Dave, thanks for doing such a good job this uh, offseason covering all of that stuff. want to get your insight into the draft today. You ready for that? I'm super ready to, Frank. Let's do it. Okay, great. And I just want to say, you're the perfect person to talk to today. And you were the perfect person to do all of these things because uh, just some hot takes and some backstory here. The reason I got into film evaluation and the reason I do what I do is because I think all draft experts, or at least the traditional ones, are total frauds. So I'm, I, I just want to thank you for reading all of that and then delivering the information so that uh, you know I, I didn't have to then quote ESPN's draft experts who are so wrong all the time. So great. This is, this is great. I'm going to contain myself here going forward. But let's start with uh, this question. One, two, or maybe three first-round draft picks for the Nittany Lions. What has been the most realistic? What has been the most consistent this offseason in, in, in the mock draft sphere? I think they will have one. I think they could have two. I don't think they will have three. Um, right, Jahan Dotson, you know, is is the guy who we all expect to go in the in, in the first round. Um, although, you know, occasionally he does slide out of it if de- depending on who you're who you're reading, who you're listening to. Yep. Um, the other guy that will occasionally pop up there, and if you listen to Mel Kiper, like loves Arnold Ebiketti. Yep. Loves Arnold yep, yep. Ebiketti. Um, so those are the two guys that I think probably have a shot, obviously Dotson more likely. Um, and then maybe an outside shot for Jaquan Brisker. I don't, I don't really see it. Um, yeah. You know, just based on what I'm reading, but it doesn't seem impossible. Yeah. It just kind of a, a, I think personally, the two guys that are physically first round draft picks, despite Ebiketti being a little bit undersized for the uh, defensive end position are Ebikitty and and Brisker and Dotson is is the best producer at the at the college football level so that kind of I think muddies the water between those three mm-hmm. uh, and Brisker this this is this is the thing and I, I wrote about this I wrote about all these guys by the way this week of their be- best positional fits over at BlueWhiteIllustrated.com uh, premium content so if you want to sign up for that. 12 months of access for just $1. You can read everything Dave does. You can read what I do. You can read what Greg and what Ryan and what Nate do. $1, 12 months of access. You could, I don't know, know before anybody else what's up with the AD search. All that over at BlueWhiteIllustrated.com. One of the things that I've noticed this offseason is that because Jaquan Brisker played in the box this past season, he's being labeled as a box safety. And that is not valued in the NFL. 
That is not a high... It's kind of like a running back or a linebacker at the NFL level. But the reason he was playing in the box is because P.J. Mustafer was hurt. And they had to stuff the box with numbers because they were having a hard time stopping the run. So I don't know why causality here is why he's now not a considered a first-round pick. When he... I think at the beginning of the season, the way he was producing before then, he was. Uh, so that's my stump speech about the idiocy of that particular conversation. But when it comes to uh, that group of players, the first one off the board is Dotson, I assume. He's the highest. He's the most consistent guy. Uh, do you have a favorite landing spot for him uh, in the in the first round? Yeah, there's there's that Chiefs pick. Right yeah. at the, you know, I mean that that's gotta be the answer. <laughs> um, at, at, at any time that uh, you get to play with Patrick Mahomes, I think that's the answer to the question. You know, um, there are some other good landing spots, definitely. And and forgive me, I, I don't think Detroit is an awful place for him. Um, oh, I know, I know, no. I know. I know. Because, well, tell me, yeah, tell me be, why. Just because of opportunity, right? You know, I mean that's the first barrier in the NFL is, yeah. you, you, you know, you got to get on the field and he's going to get on the field, right? Uh, yep. Amon Ross St. Brown had a really good end of the season there. Um, if you're a fantasy football player like myself, you are very, very aware of that. Yeah. Um, but outside of that, there's nothing. I mean, TJ Hawkinson, right? Tight you're, end, but right. there's just nothing. Um, so he, you know, very quickly could be, I mean, I think instantly is the number two guy yep. and, depending on your thoughts on Amon Ross St. Brown and, and how legitimate of a, of a player he is, I don't think it's, you know, an out of this world opinion to say that maybe by mid season, he's the number one guy. So, right. you know, uh, kind of two different ends of the spectrum there, I guess. So uh, top of round two for both Abikidi and Brisker is kind of what I've seen. Maybe mid round two is first off, is that accurate? And then what's next in the pecking order for Penn state in the draft? Yeah, um, I think it's definitely accurate for Ebiketti. Depending on who you're talking to, you see Brisker, like, really fall, man. Um, you know, he will occasionally be in, like, the third or fourth round, uh, depending <laughs> on where you look. So, uh, yeah. Eh, yeah, but, no, no. Um, it's it's interesting, your point about box safety and, and uh, how it's not valued. That kind of clarifies something for me, because whenever – Brisker has had the opportunity to speak kind mm -hmm. of in the lead up to the draft. He has emphasized how versatile he is yeah. at like every opportunity to the point where I'm like, okay, we get it, you know, but, but now that makes sense. Right. Yeah. Um, he's trying to, I guess, emphasize that he can do those things, but to answer your question yeah. after those guys, um, I think Brandon Smith, uh, you know, Tariq Castro fields, Maybe Rashid Walker, Jesse Lucada, you kind of get to that tier. Mm -hmm. um, now, is that and, is that later in the draft? Is this now we're sliding down into day three, or are we still a couple of those guys maybe finding their way into the end of round three or maybe the beginning of day three in round four? Yeah, I think your buddies at ESPN had, um, <laughs> had Smith and Tariq Castro-Fields in um, – in the back of the third, which would have been would have been day two. That is a that, that is very high for Treat Castro Fields, and and that's yeah. I feel like this whole off season has been me beating him up, but it's just uh, his his positional production versus his steadiness. Like, you know, 
it's hard to project what he's going to be in the NFL for me because I, I see a consistent player, but I don't see a guy that the NFL is going to value out outside of the four three eight forty and you know the good measurables um, because the production, the ball production, just isn't there. And right. you know, I think I, I kind of think it got to him last season. Some of the mistakes we saw, some of the lack of evenness from his play. I think he was trying to jump routes. I think it got to his head. So we'll see in the NFL what he's going to be. But that is the highest I've heard of Dariq Castro Fields. Uh, is that a recent thing where he's yeah, kind of creeping was, up? Yeah, okay. That was that was this week. So, yeah, you know, I don't know. Um, again, I think once you get past, like, you know, a, a certain threshold, they're just guessing. I mean, they're just guessing anyway. Yeah. But, like, you know, I mean, if I'm – I get it. It's his job. But if, if, if I'm analyzing whatever, like 330 NFL draft prospects, there's bound to be guys that like just like fall through the, the cracks once you get get through a certain threshold. So, you know, yeah. take it with a grain of salt. But um, yeah, it does seem like those guys are kind of, you know, around the day, you know, the, 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 the end of day two, beginning of day three bridge, mm-hmm. um, you know, and then maybe... For a guy like Jesse Lucchetta, um, Rashid Walker, you're talking about like the end of the fourth, beginning of the fifth type deal. So what is the total number then that you've seen kind of on average of Penn State players taken in the draft over the three-day span? I think I think eight or nine is probably what we're looking at. Gotcha. And um, that counts Jordan Stout as well, who we haven't does. talked about, right? Yeah. Yeah. Um, so, right, just to like go through the quick rundown, um, Dotson. Ebiketti, um, Brisker, Smith, um, Lucetta, Tariq Castro-Fields, um, Ellis Brooks, uh, Rashid Walker, Jordan Stout. Um, and then we kind of get to guys like, you know, an Eric Wilson or a Derek Tangela, who, who I mean, maybe somebody uses a late round pick on, but I think are probably going to be undrafted free agents, you know? Um so th- there's a lot of guys to watch out for, um, but yeah, I think I think there should be a pretty good total for Penn State by the time the day is done. Uh, so we're that's our NFL draft preview. Uh, I do want to say this just to close out my my closing arguments before the NFL draft first round happens tonight. Um, Jaquan Brisker zero touchdowns allowed and two interceptions in the slot over his three year career, four hundred snaps in in. Deep coverage before 2021. His PFF grades were 85.4 and 77.8 in those seasons in coverage. So uh, you don't have to be the best at everything. You don't have to be the archetype of the free safety. You don't have to be just a box safety that's 230 pounds. Like You can be good at things without being the best at things and still be able to do them. That's what my biggest pet peeve is we get to this like, I call it EST syndrome, where we got to know who's the biggest, fastest, strongest, smartest, the best ever project at, at this position. And we forget, you know, good is good. You, you can be good at something, and it's fine. Yeah. So the, the NFL draft, to me, is the greatest reminder that, like, just anyone can have a take. Right? You know, like, it's, <laughs> yeah. it's just... <laughs> it's just insane. Even, even the stuff you read on, like, Twitter, and, and I get it, like... Yeah on Twitter from fan like it's just come on what oh yeah. by the way that I've been wanting to talk about this but the most perplexing thing for me um uh, I guess I shouldn't be surprised and this is a total tangent Dave but uh 
the the like the the clout accounts that are out there just trolling for like being super fan accounts that are that or or like the cheerleader accounts on Twitter. It's a fascinating subculture that I just do not understand whatsoever. It's it, it's it's exhausting but also hilarious. My favorite are the accounts that post memes under a team's tweet when they lose. Have you ever seen those? Those are those are the best. But now we're really on a tangent. <laughs> yeah, let's 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 rein it back in for a second. We got to get to our questions. We got a boatload of questions up today, and uh, I want to thank you for coming on and doing the mailbag with me because the mailbag is one of my favorite episodes of the week because we get to interact with fans it's the one time here on the daily that we get to interact with fans have a conversation and uh topics of conversation you know that's my job as the producer there's some good ones out there that uh fans come up with so i just want to say thanks and by the way if you want to get your questions on the show you can subscribe to blue white illustrated for just one dollar and have uh it's like disney fast pass access that's where i go first <laughs> to get the questions then i put them in there so you'll get your question on the show. Unless it's something I can't answer on the show, we answer it on the show. Secondly, at Thomas Rankar on Twitter every Wednesday night, put that out there. And I want to make sure that because there's, you know, people respond and they have time to think of some really thoughtful questions. So I want to get to as many of these each week as possible. One that I did not get to last week from Chris Gelso in our uh, Lion's Den message forum. Right now, projected starting O-line is as follows. Fashanu, Tangwall, Scruggs, Wormley, Caden Wallace. Once Hunter Norzad enrolls this summer, who do you think is the odd man out? Dave, with that lineup, what do you think? You put me on the spot, T. Frank. Um, my guess would probably be Landon Tangwall. Um, he's a young guy. He's a guy who can play a bunch of different positions and can kind of swing around and you plug him in as needed. Um, so that would be my assumption but I'd be interested to hear yours, Steve Frank. Well, it depends on where Sal Wormley is in his return to play right. uh, because he, he performed in the blue-white game, but it was only during the thud period. So that's actually good that he was able to... He and Adisa Isaac both were in the contact but not tackle periods. So that's a good sign that he's on track to be ready for... And it makes sense given when he was injured, he's on track for the season. Um, I would say I would agree with you there. Uh, and, and part of it, you make a very good point about Tangwall and his versatility. Also, and this is completely unfair because it's a scrimmage, and he was playing in like three different positions, is the first time that I I saw him make some mental mistakes. And I, I saw Tangwall like, I wouldn't say disappointed because it's not like he ever lost when he actually got to a block, but it was like, oh, okay, so he's not perfect. <laughs> he's not. He is not the epitome of offensive line. Uh, you know, just a little bit of like showing his youth there. Um, sure. and, and that's, you know, neither here nor there. But it made me think if Hunter Norzad comes in, adapts to the offense quickly and gets one of those starting positions, I think he'd be the right guard. Sal Wormley was going to be the left guard last season. You don't have to only play five players. You can play right. as many as are worthy to play. So if you were going to rotate, you would rotate between... Uh, maybe Tangwall and Wormley. But alternately, I could see working in Hunter Norzad as the new guy and having him split reps with Sal Wormley at right guard with Tangwall being on the left side. So I, I think that even, not to, not to deconstruct the question, 
But I do think that all three guys can play at guard, especially. The guy that I think is the odd man out after watching the blue-white game was J.B. Nelson. I was putting him in the question of, can he perform? Can he play this year? And I think he's just a little bit away from that at the moment. Uh, and then Vega Ioane, we've heard he physically can come in and contribute. So to me, that's the total wild card there. If he's a part of the equation, then somebody is going to be left out. Yeah, no, definitely. I I don't know. I mean, it is difficult for me to see like a true freshman coming in and, and displacing some of these guys. I yeah. mean, maybe, but yeah, he's kind of the wild card in the whole thing. Cause yeah. I just, I don't know what to expect from him. That, that James Franklin comment on signing day or whenever it was that he can come in and play early, like really threw me off guard to be totally honest. So, yeah. Yeah. Um, that was also before they had Hunter Norzad committed. So who knows, you, you know, that might've changed the picture for, for Franklin. Um, he physically can, but also Landon Tangwall physically could, could compete last sure. year, and they held him out and gave him that redshirt season. So I think the default is that's going to be the case. But you know, we have this we have this quote, we have this thing that you and I are like, I don't know exactly what to do with it. So until further <laughs> notice, we're going to keep. I'm going to keep bringing that up. Uh, we're going to go on to Losi's mustache. Once the new AD settles in, what will be the first project at Penn State that he targets? He or she. It's not totally confirmed yet. Uh, and by the way, if you want to know the update on that information, yesterday's BWI Daily, Nate Bauer, our senior editor and our insider, gave us some information about uh, Patrick Kraft is the name that he's confirmed is Penn State's target for uh, the new athletic director. So check that out. Blue White Illustrated on YouTube. If you're listening on podcasts, same thing there as well. But uh, Losey's Mustache wants to know which project will be at the top of his to-do list. Dave, do you have a top of your to-do list that you would want if you were the athletic director surveying the landscape for Penn State Athletics? Yeah, I think the thing that is most urgent is, you know, crafting some semblance of like a competitive NIL plan. Um, and obviously, you know, I mean, the athletic director can't, you know, like there, there are certain, I guess, uh, um, procedures that have to be followed, but the athletic director can, you know, indirectly, um, you, you know, I guess lobby alumni to, to, to raise funds for this kind of thing. And I yeah. think that's what needs to happen. And there has to be a plan too. Yes. That, that's, that's probably the biggest, the biggest component is it doesn't really feel like there's a plan right now. Um, so for me, that is the biggest thing, um, that Penn state needs to address with its new athletic director. Uh, and it, yeah. So, there are certainly others, but that's the big one. Yeah, I, 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 because it's the building I interact with the most. I hope it's a Luba Hall, uh, because I, <laughs> I've been on record. They've done everything they can with that building. I think that their their white backdrops that they've put up there, where the Penn State logo have helped, but that is a dark hole of a building, and it is not nice to be in. And if you want, if we're talking about the competitive athletic landscape, having indoor facilities that are top of the line. That is a huge thing in college football. Um, and not to bring up the draft again, and not to bring up the Bills again, but that is actually, the Buffalo Bills have built a state-of-the-art practice facility, nutrition, sports science complex. And veteran NFL players talk about it. Like, that's a reason they want to go there. So it's not just at the college level. Athletes want to have the sports science backing of their organizations to get the most out of, of their careers. And I think that that is an important thing for Penn State. But after talking with Nate yesterday, 
about the landscape of, of Penn State athletics. I just think you, you said set a direction. There needs to be a concrete plan soon with Beaver Stadium. It's been the, the can has been kicked down the road far enough. This is the opportunity to set a new course. Whatever that course is, just set it. Like, let's make a decision. And I'm an indecisive person. And I, I, I understand the not wanting to make the wrong decision here, but the wrong decision is indecision at this point. So something that has to do with fixing that part of the equation I think is really important, even if it is not a direct thing for athletes and recruiting, which should be the top of mind for the athletic director. Uh, longer question here from Psychim. Phil Gross, before the spring practice, praised Devon Townley. Uh, Richard Freshman as a potential having a good motor, potential good pass rusher. Townley gained quite a bit of weight this offseason, about 15 pounds. However, my evaluation of Townley has not been positive. Plus, Phil mentioned that he was the biggest disappointment for the spring practice. Uh, I, I don't I don't know if this is accurate here of saying under motivated and not showing so much mobility and quickness. Do you think certain players cannot handle weight gain well? Hard to see Townley and the other defensive end, Rodney McGraw who is now an undersized defensive tackle, as two more recruiting misses have had too many of those in recent years. So, uh, do you want me to go first with this one, Dave? Please. <laughs> okay. <laughs> no, I don't think... So, this is the... the uh, and I'll take ownership of this. Misevaluation is one... Th is, is kind of the question here. When you look at a player, and this is the, the double-sided coin of upside... Penn State is not putting bad weight on athletes. That's just not happening. Um, and this could be a metamorphosis phase for Townley. You have to put the weight on to then acclimatize to it. And normally, like for very special, very good athletes, that happens quickly. But sometimes you do need to find the right point. But secondarily, some guys aren't as fast or as explosive as you think they are because when they gain that muscle, they don't increase that explosiveness. It stays the same, but they become bigger, and that changes their profile. That's a certain point of the evaluation. If you see a guy that's 240 pounds, and he's quick, and he's faster than everyone else, and then you think, okay, if you project that forward where he gets quicker because he's got more muscle to propel his body farther that is what you're expecting but sometimes guys don't have as much quick twitch muscle fiber as other guys so that's kind of the problem of you don't know what that is like I'm not going in there and doing a whatever muscle density study on these athletes so it can be a part of like misevaluating the upside. And then secondarily, I don't know that it's necessarily the end of the story for Devon Townley Jr. Just because he didn't, right. he's yeah. not there as a redshirt freshman. So, you know, I would say pump the brakes on him playing this year, but not pump the brakes on him being a contributor in the Penn State defense because he's still 250 pounds. He's still a big physical guy that I think just needs to, you know, he's a very raw prospect, and sometimes those take a little bit longer. Do you have any insight you want to add here, Dave? Yeah, I just I, – I, 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 I don't really agree, as you kind of alluded to at the end, with labeling anybody a bust after one year on campus where they're adjusting. And, you, you know, it, I just don't I – don't, I don't agree with that. And I also don't agree with 
um, I guess the implication, the, the, the long drawn out implications that we're making from a spring game. Um, <laughs> yeah, that's all. Yeah. Oh. He, 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 and I'll, I'm going to do this evaluation later, uh, over at, uh, bluewhiteillustrated.com. I was a little surprised how ungainly he looked. Um, mm. there were times I'm like, what are you doing with your arms? So <laughs> there's just, there's a little bit of an athletic learning curve, I think, for Devon Townley Jr. that I was not expecting watching his high school film. And sometimes that happens. And that's, you know, maybe you're wrong. Maybe it's a miss uh, personally, or maybe it's something that's changed behind the scenes. But in no way does this do anything to his potential. The only thing I would say is that Penn State has added some very talented players since then. That's the real thing is like, Deny Dennis Sutton is going to be on the team this fall. So is uh, Damian Robinson. And they have a lot of eligibility left. So when it comes to the development curve, are players, and this is kind of a broader question, then are players going to stick around to see their development to its fruition, or are they going to go somewhere else to play? And, and that's not saying that's the deal with Townley. I'm just saying that's the deal if you are not a guy that hits immediately or shows aggressive growth early. That's kind of the new dichotomy that we're caught in but I, I don't think that there's any sort of problem with Townley at the moment um had me at black shoes asks haven't had heard much about Landon Tang well this spring is everything good on his end uh would you mind texting him Dave and asking him if he's all right yeah sure Landon what's up bro how's it going <laughs> um no uh James Franklin told us I think it was the Wednesday before the spring game yes um if I'm re remembering correctly that uh, Tangwall had been injured um, and, and, and had missed some time. Obviously, he was back on the field for the spring game. Um, but I think that is probably why you hadn't really read or heard much about it. Yeah, a uh, little bit nicked up. And as we talked about, he... So this is the other thing. When you are down to where they don't have enough linemen to have too deep on the offensive line, that's why we saw Landon Tangwell playing left tackle and left guard, and that's why we saw him moving around a little bit. So not only was he injured, he's also playing, I'm not going to say out of position because he was good at left tackle. I think he's the backup left tackle no matter what anybody says. Like, that part is absolutely clear to me. So that particular situation, he's not going to, like, take massive strides if he's helping the team by playing left tackle half the time at left guard, if that makes any sense. Right. Exactly. Poncho570 asks, do you see ever see the blue-white game going back to the original format once numbers are back to where they need to be, or do you see what occurred this past Saturday as the new norm for not only Penn State but other colleges as well going forward? James Franklin talked about this, uh, I wouldn't say in-depth, but pretty adamantly at the end of his press conference on, uh, on Saturday, which you can check out here on the YouTube channel. Dave, uh, tell us what he said and tell us your thoughts about this idea. Yeah, um, essentially he said that he would like to have a traditional spring game, if possible. Um, he felt that, uh, you know, aligning it the way that they did last Saturday was in the best interest, interest excuse me, of the program, um, especially considering all of the offensive line injuries that they had. But yeah, I, I don't think the door is closed at all on a return, return to the normal spring game, I guess. Yeah. Um, and to be totally honest, I, and I, I know we're, we're on like a different page here, T. Frank, but I, I found that 
difficult to watch. So I am I am all for the return. <laughs> you didn't you didn't want to watch high uh, freshman quarterbacks throwing against cover two for fifteen minutes. Well, here's the thing, T. Frank. Um, I was. Uh, writing down everything that happened um, <laughs> for our live blog, and it's hard to do to do that when they aren't keeping stats. Yep. When they are keeping stats for some periods and not for others, and when hey, let's just go punt for a couple minutes. So <laughs> you know, for yeah. my personal sanity, please return to normal. <laughs> I like this. So I, you know, this is very much just a personal thing. I like the seven on seven because it gave me an opportunity to just focus on the secondary. Like it was easier to read coverages. It was easier to understand the routes and everything when you don't have linemen getting in the way and just visual obscurity to what's going on and you can do less. So you can't zone blitz. You can't drop guys. You can't take somebody from the third row of section EE and throw them on a blitz. Cause I think, honestly i think manny diaz might do that uh that dude likes to blitz um i you know i i think you're right james franklin talked about this of wanting to go back to the original format and some of the things he said i think penn state fans would love to hear toughness you got to know who's the toughest guy on the team because those make the best football players and as much as i don't put any stock personally in toughness because i think it's self-evident you know, that's the thing is like, I always consider toughness to be a prerequisite to be on the football field. Like that sorts itself out. I shouldn't as a, as the analyst, I shouldn't have to be gauging toughness. I should be a fun thing. I point out because it's just comically over the top for some guys. You should be tough to play football. Like that should take care of itself, but apparently it's not. Apparently that's something that coaches are evaluating. And the blue white game is an opportunity to evaluate it before it's you know, the game itself. And then, of course, the live work of blocking and tackling and going full speed. That's one of the reasons I haven't done a uh, offensive line evaluation yet is because in thud, they're not going full speed even at the offensive line. It's like 80%. So what do you take from that in an evaluation? There's only so much you can take. So the traditional blue-white game still has a value, but maybe going to thud is the compromise and not doing a full tackle scrimmage the entire game. That was kind of, I, I think, a lot of teams have landed. Navy Blue asks a basketball question. So, Dave, perfect you're here today. Had the oh Penn State's goodness. chances looking at a landing a big man out of the transfer portal. Of course, this is contingent on scholarships opening up. Does basketball have the same May 1st deadline that football has? I would guess it's later since the season begins later. Thanks, says Navy Blue. So, fill us in on uh, the multi-tiered question here about a big man, how that search is going. Yeah, I, I I do expect them to get a big man still. They are trying. They are trying very hard. They need one. Like, it's just, it's not optional. <laughs> um, it, it, they, they have to get one. So they will do what they need to do to make that happen. I'm, I'm, I'm fairly confident in saying that. Um, as far as, I actually don't know the answer to the second part of that. Um, I, I don't know if there's a deadline in basketball. I, I think Navy Blue is on our message board. Um, if you, if you send me a message, Navy, I can, I can figure that out for you. Um, but yeah, um, definitely still eyes open for, uh, for big man. I don't know. I don't, I don't know how good that big man will be to be totally honest with you, but they've got to get one. It's not optional. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. 
Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. We are about halfway through the BWI mailbag show, maybe a little bit more than that. If you want to ever get uh, your questions in, like Dave just talked about, if you want to talk to one of us directly, sign up for Blue White Illustrated for just $1 and get 12 months of access. And I've been saying that that can't last forever, but pretty soon it can't last forever. So make sure you go right now, you sign up. It is the link, the first link in the description of this video. $1 gets you 12 months of access, so we'll be talking after the spring game next year, and you will still be paying a dollar, and who knows what the price of anything else in life will be. Houses and gas might be $1,000 each. You know, like, you might be able to buy a house for $1,000, but you might have to pay a $1,000 of gas. Who knows? <laughs> that was weird. I don't know why I did that. Uh, ben Bainey asks, I, I guess it's Ben Bainey, at Ben Bainey 84 Early morning question outside the box. Why aren't NFL teams investing in college teams? If, say, the Bills provided additional training and health services to prospective players at PSU via NIL, wouldn't it potentially give the Bills a leg up on evaluating talent due to proximity? So that is an interesting angle at a question we've had here before. Um, so the short answer, Ben, is that the NFL draft exists. So there's no regional advantage to buying services from college teams. Nobody has nobody has benefited more from the college model than the NFL. They have a free minor league mm -hmm. system. They have to pay nothing for it. So why would they ever change? The only reason they would ever change is if they got rid of the NFL draft and they have to agree to do that. But from a, a, an early evaluation standpoint, Dave, do you think that there is a value to having inside access that other people don't about major programs. So you can know, maybe stay away from these guys or maybe work with these guys. Yeah, maybe I suspect that the NFL would very quickly institute legislation to make that not allowed, yeah. <laughs> um, you know, um, but hypothetically, yeah, that's valuable. Sure. Uh, but, you know, I don't I don't ever see that being something that's practical, to be honest. Yeah. And it, it would be kind of spending money you don't need to spend, maybe exactly. because, you know, there are there are famous alumni. And the reason the bills come up here is because Terry Pagula is a Penn State alum and uh, has ties to the region and it's a regional team. Right. So what's preventing them from getting that inside information anyway, just as a fan of the team, just as a general manager, a scout, they get that stuff from the universities and the coaches during the this time of year anyway. So I guess it would just be an efficiency thing of eliminating guys earlier in their career, which you could also do by just expanding your scouting staff and your scouting budget. Uh, so I don't know. That's the most interesting way somebody's phrased that idea uh, in a while. Andrew Barniak 
of the Barnyak Brothers asks, Last week, Franklin praised the punter for punting better at the blue-white game than in practice. He seems to take the opposite approach quite a bit. If there are players performing well in practice, he'll give them playing time. Putting an emphasis on practice is good, but not all. Thoughts? So he's saying, basically, does James Franklin rely too much on practice performance rather than letting guys figure it out in a game? Yeah, I, I'm, I have to say I'm, I'm, a, I'm a little confused by this one. Um, so <laughs> I, I, I guess I, is the implication that guys should just be set out to play despite their practice performances? Uh, that, that, that's something that I would disagree with, um, to be honest. Yeah. Look, I, 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 I have no problem with how James Franklin determines who gets playing time because <laughs> yeah. it, it's impossible for me and anyone who has not worked in that building and spent every day in that building to to say that we have a better perspective on something than he does. Yeah. It's just impossible. Like, I'm, I'm sorry. I know that we love to do that, but it's just not it's not a thing that is conceivable for us to do when we see 10 minutes of practice and then watch them play 13 games every season. It's just not, you know, so I, I, until I'm invited to spend an entire season with a college football team, I, uh, I have to just kind of allow James Franklin to, to, to assign snaps the way that James Franklin wants to assign snaps. Yeah. And he talked about it too a little more in depth of they track all not, not just they track every rep. They go in and do analytics on every rep where they count right. drops, missed forced tackles in practice. Like they build their own data set from everything they record. So it's not just they're recording it and watching it back, which they're also recording it and watching it back, spending eight hours watching 40 minutes of practice. Then they're going in and, and charting everything and trying to find the information from practice to project it to the game. The one area, and I'll, I'll bring this question back up because I think this is what it's driving at of some guys perform better in a game than they do in practice. And you'll never know that until you take that opportunity. So let's Let's de-emotionalize. Let's deflate this particular conversation, and I'll give you an All right, example. Tom Brady, relax. <laughs> no. um. That's a good one. Um, yeah. Let's take Auburn, Bonix, and their backup quarterback, uh, TJ Finley, I think is his name, uh, the guy who is there now. TJ Finley might also be the name of a quarterback in the NFL. Uh, so, But he was the guy that Penn State wanted – uh, in the offseason last year. Yeah, TJ Finley. So we know what Bo Nix is. We know that Bo Nix, at the first sign of the ghost of pressure, he's going to roll out of the pocket <laughs> for no reason. Um, You know what you're going to get from him. Highs and lows, boneheaded decisions, and also he's going to make some great throws that make you go, okay, we'll give him another shot. But what is the what does the backup quarterback have? What are we've seen him play and we saw some good things. But what does it look like when you just say, okay, now it's your turn to run with it? And that is, I think, where where a lot of coaches are conservative in the way they do things. Of I know X, and I'd rather know the problem then introduce a new variable because there are too many variables for me to control. But it also limits then the opportunity for someone to surprise you. 
And I guess the point is, to Dave's point and to James Franklin's point is, we're not going to be surprised because we see this stuff all the time. Like, we don't think we're going to be surprised. And it is the rare, rare exception when a guy is so much better in the game that you then have to play him. And the quarterback is the easiest example because only one can play. And that limits what you can see from other guys. Yeah. I have a feeling we're going to be asked that question a lot this year, T. Frank. That's exactly that's right. Yeah, that's exactly right. Uh, okay. So got a, cute, a couple more here. And I have uh, backed myself into a corner. Uh, so I'm going to, as much as I want to answer Mud Dog's question about who I think the Bills are going to take at 25, I've already mentioned them enough today. So I, I've already played that card on the show. I can't do it again. Uh, John Walker asks at WireWalker630, is it the kiss of death to be the blue-white game star? Are walk-ons really taken seriously? I saw a walk-on on Saturday that really stood out to me, but got little or no attention. And I, I certainly believe he's talking about Dominic DeLuca, who right. had two interceptions and a sack in the scrimmage. Nate, Nate, geez, sorry. <laughs> Dave. Very offensive. Very <laughs> offensive. Listen. We all have our own subtle cues of when I see this little <laughs> bubble flying around the screen, I'm supposed to say Nate. So I'm sorry. Dave, what is your thought on uh, guys performing well in the blue-white game? Do you think that's an indication of potential future success? Yeah, I don't know. I, I mean, I, I don't know that I would call it the, the kiss of death. It's just like, you know, you see way more of the guys that, uh, to be frank, probably aren't going to play very much um throughout their careers and somebody has to do something good right in, yeah. in 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 those scenarios so i think that kind of leads a little bit to to where that question is coming from but i also think that question is like a different way to ask what we just answered in, in a sense right because you know i mean if the walk-ons were excellent in practice again yeah the walk-ons would play you know, if, yeah. if, if the walk-ons showed that the coach, the coaching staff that, hey, look, I am deserving of playing college football for Penn State at the Big Ten level, then they would. Right. I mean, we've yeah. seen it before, like Dan, right. Dan Chisena, you know, yep, um, got not a ton of snaps, but by the time he was a senior, he was playing almost every game at wide receiver, a, a snap here or there. So it's not impossible. It's yeah. just that. Um, walk-ons tend to be walk-ons for a reason. I know that yeah. sounds harsh, but, yeah. and, and, and it's difficult, more difficult for them to make that jump. So, yeah. um, can I, can know. I put it a different way? Um, please. So football is based on your physical potential, right? When it boils down to it, it is the bigger, faster, stronger. It is who do we think right. is going to be the best athlete executing things the best on the football field. And, if you are really good at executing as an assignment on the football field, you're going to stand out in a scrimmage like the blue-white game. But the question then remains, are you doing it against the third string or are you doing it against the first string? Are you in those situations to shine when it's time to shine? And, and you might be faster than everyone else in a scrimmage because you know what you're doing. So it's a case-by-case -case basis. I'll say that it's a case-by-case -case basis in these situations of when you get to see somebody perform, how do they perform? Um, and I was actually impressed by Dominic DeLuca. I, I thought it wasn't just the fact that he was going up against freshman quarterbacks. 
because Penn State is also thin at the linebacker position, he was playing a lot. He was playing some snaps with the first and second team at the he's same a, position. He's a, right. He's a second year guy himself. Yep. So, you know, it's not totally like a, a mismatch for him to be playing against freshmen, you know? So, yep. yeah, he, he definitely deserves some props, right? Yeah. But uh, I think I gave him a game ball. So don't look at me. I gave him, <laughs> I gave him the credit. You gave him yeah. the proper credit. But I guess my point is physically, I didn't, I, you know, and it's a short window into these things. And I'd have to see him in more situations and circumstances versus better opponents to see where the weaknesses are. But on first blush, I thought he ran well. So that's the first test is like, if you're a linebacker, do you run well? And then the question becomes, do you play the run well? Do you take mm-hmm. on linemen? Can you get in there and can you attack the proper shoulder and not get blown off the ball when you're going full speed? And that's the part that I don't think we really saw from DeLuca. But in coverage, I thought he looked great. Like, he he might be a guy that can get some end-of-game reps. I definitely think he's a special teams player that is going to be on the football field. Like, he showed me enough athleticism that he can do those things. But is it, you know, getting back to the original question... If Penn State had another four-star Sam linebacker, is he in that situation? And I don't know that answer. So maybe it's good for him that he does have the opportunity, or maybe it's bad for Penn State that he got the opportunity. That's always the question when it comes to these situations. Um, but you can point to a thousand different examples of a walk-on starting and and Carl Nassib winning the sack title, the best defensive lineman in America, after being a walk-on at 6'6", 270. So, you know, again, athletically, he was just behind and made up that time. Last question today here on the BWI Mailbag Show from Beaverman72. Speaking of Beaver Stadium, our anthropomorphic Beaverman on Twitter asking us, do you (laughs) feel as though the offense has an identity? Even if the run game is improved, I would assume they want to be known for executing explosive plays in the passing game. Based on what we saw last season this spring, do you think Penn State has the personnel to be explosive? It's a great question. Um, I think Penn State has Penn State has an identity that it wants to be. Yeah. I don't think Penn State has reached that identity yet, if that makes sense. Yeah. Um, so it's everything that he said in his question, right? I mean, James Franklin wants a big play, explosive offense. I don't think he necessarily needs it to come through the passing game. Bang. Um, so, you know, um, Nick Singleton, hello, how are you? But, um, <laughs> yeah. yeah, so, you know, uh, I don't think they're there yet, but I think they have an idea of what they want to be. Yeah, and the spring is not the time to have your identity. And right. so let's let's be a little more specific when it when we mean identity so you mentioned it doesn't explosive plays how do you get there is it through the running game are your tight ends involved so do you have a monster in the middle of the field that can stretch the field and gets down the seam and attacks safeties that's a way to be explosive do you have a Jahan Dotson do you have a Chris Godwin who is going to be the guy that gets you those plays because then that changes how you call the game what your emphasis is, run or pass, what your emphasis is, play action, certain concepts, certain formations, that then determines your identity. So we don't know who those guys are yet. Does Keandre Lambert-Smith take a step forward because he looked good uh, you know, playing in, in the blue-white game? I thought they were a little more diverse where people lined up and some of the motions. And I think they've got more depth now with Mitchell Tinsley filling in for Parker Washington at that slot position. 
That's an encouraging sign, knowing they have guys on the outside that can fill in. Does Malik Mega this fall, does he become a vertical threat that you have to take advantage of, or do two of the tight ends finally make that leap? Theo Johnson, Tyler Warren, Brenton Strange, doesn't matter whoever. That determines your identity. And then, you know, how do you take advantage of that? So the identity is not going to be set yet because it's not supposed to be. But yes, the end goal, the philosophical tenets are in place. But I think that those two are different things. But that's a good question because I think that it, it brings up kind of the, uh, the difference between the two. So do you have any questions, Dave? What's for dinner tonight, T. Frank? Tacos. What are we, what are we cooking in? Oh, delicious. Tacos. Delightful. Yes, and because it's the draft, we go all out. So we will have, like, the hard shell tacos from the package, which are super fancy. We normally have, like, soft shell ones. That, like, I'll make my own homemade chips out of them. They're delicious. That's happening tonight. We're getting guac, and we got ground beef. So it's, like, real tacos. It's not turkey. It's not chicken. It's real, not good for you, like, 80% fat beef. I'm very excited. <laughs> yeah, that sounds amazing. I'm jealous. What about you? You're gonna. The worst part is, by the way, that uh, we're gonna be working tonight. So if you want to follow us, you've got a, a live thread, bluewhiteillustrated.com, covering the draft. You cannot eat tacos in type. Like it is a very messy meal. So what are you making tonight? That's true. Uh, I'm gonna have chicken rice and broccoli, like I have every night, because I can't eat fun things. Oh, but it's okay, you know. It's okay. It's all right. Maybe, maybe, maybe I'll get some like, maybe, maybe I'll pretend they're tacos. I'll find something to house the chicken, rice, and broccoli in, and I will eat them like a taco. Yeah. How's that? Yeah. How about that? That sounds like a good idea. So again, follow us on Twitter at David Eckert ninety eight at Thomas Frank Carr as we uh, spill our hot takes on Twitter. But most importantly, follow us on uh, bluewhiteillustrated.com tonight for coverage of the NFL draft and where Penn state finds their players at the next level. And of course, if you're listening to this point of the show, you enjoyed it. So please give the video a like and subscribe. And if you're listening on our, uh, multiple places, you can listen to the podcast. Thank you. If you're listening on Apple podcasts, make sure you leave a review as well. Always helpful. Help us grow the brand so we can bring you more cool stuff. I'm your host, Thomas Frank Carr. We'll talk to you tomorrow. Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car, before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.